averages don't mean that much. I'd like to know what percentage of pigs are below a, a set of specifications. Most of them you can eyeball. And, and what I do in, in some cases is simply ask that all those pigs below specification are tagged. And, and then we simply monitor what is the mortality rate? What is the uh, relative risk? It's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry. One that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms. Here you will have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket. Swine It Podcast is only possible with the support of forward-looking and innovative companies like Healthy Farms by Bioverse, your manure management experts, swine management to the next level, cloudfarms.com, Zinpro, essential trace minerals, exceptional performance, Ivonic, we are sciencing the global food challenge. This episode's sponsored highlight is about AB Vista, an animal nutrition technology company offering innovative products and new applications for the swine industry. The combination of AB Vista enzymes, technical services, and nutrition expertise provides the industry with new opportunities to further improve production efficiencies. Fiber is receiving renewed interest due to its influence on the microbiome, and AB Vista has brought together research experts to discuss the industry's knowledge of fiber functionality and to introduce a stimbiotic targeted to improve fiber digestion. To request access, contact NAM at abvista.com. That's N-A-M at abvista.com. Hello, everyone. I'm Laura Greiner, your host for today's Swine It podcast. And with me today, I have Dr. John Dean, who is a distinguished global professor at the College of Veterinary Medicine at the University of Minnesota. John, how are you doing today? I'm doing just fine. Thanks. And you? I'm doing very well. We're glad to have you on today, John. And I I think we're going to have a great topic to talk about. Um, But before we get started, some of our listeners may not be as familiar with you. And maybe I'll just have you give a brief introduction about yourself and and how you got to where you're at today. Thanks. Thanks. Um, Going back, I grew up on a pig farm in southern Ontario. Um, my parents had a, a farrow to finish farm, um, and it was mostly small grains at that point. Um, corn didn't grow that, that well. And I decided to go on to university, and veterinary medicine looked attractive and um, to, to stay out in the field. And um, I practiced for about four months in, in mixed animal practice and switched to swine and did a master's at at University of Guelph because I wanted to um, learn more about measuring stuff. Uh, And um, I got suckered into a PhD, uh, did more epidemiology and economics, and then um, spent seven years at North Carolina State and the last 22 or 23 here at University of Minnesota, working at probably most of what I do is measure stuff or talk about how to measure things and how to interpret things. It's not always at the forefront, but um, I've had a lot of fun doing these things. Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, that's a an interesting ride that you've had. And I think that's probably true of most of us who've 
picked up an advanced degree is somewhere someone along the way has convinced us that it would be a good idea, right? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Which we forever thank them for, but at the moment it was like, oh, really? Um, but yeah, so that's not really what we're here to talk about today. What we're really wanting to talk about are a thought or theme that, that you had proposed is is talking about populations and really how should we be looking at populations of pigs? And today we'll probably focus more on market pigs or, or wean to finish barns. But um, the, the statement that you made, and I think we'll just start with the statement and you can go through kind of your thought process and, and then we'll lead into some other discussion is that populations can be measured by averages or specifications and that the latter is actually better suited for pig production. And I think that's an actually really an interesting theme or statement because we always talk average, right? What's the average weight of the barn? What's the average performance and, and so forth. So let's start with that, that theme statement and we'll, we'll go from there. Yeah. I, uh, I, I make that argument in two ways. Number one is, is every barn or every system actually has requirements for the pigs um, that are entering. Um, to allow adequate performance to occur to meet the specifications for the next stage, whether it be um, in the sow, sow unit and getting the pigs at the right weight at the right time into the nursery or in uh, grow finish, getting the pigs out of the barn um, to be able to um, actually meet the specifications uh, of the packing plan. And those are two very important points that determine the financial success of the farm. And it really doesn't have much to do with averages. It's how many pigs don't meet specifications. And yet we often relied on designing our systems around averages and trying to manip manipulate those averages. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, so that's really interesting. So your, your thought process really focuses around the pigs that aren't making our specifications. And so how do you view the industry, or maybe not, let's not go industry, but how do you view a production system? How should it be set up to address maybe those pigs that aren't meeting specifications? How does that change our daily activity? I, I think the first step always is to actually know our specifications, to know what is a good pig going into a grow finish unit that is predictably going to come out the opposite end, alive, walking, and, and beyond a minimum weight. And we often haven't characterized the pigs going in. We've, we've divided up by gender. Um, we've often played around with age to meet weight specifications. And in our hands, um, age is as important at, at, at weaning as weight as a predictor going onwards, and yet we don't have those measures in, in, in certain cases. And, and then we have to decide on interventions. Uh, um, I think for anywhere uh, from arguments on welfare, um, de designing those pigs, defining those pigs that don't cope uh, with the environment, often based on, on the weight or other, other characteristics, it can be um, based on utilization of resources. Which feed do we put into a nursery? What's the right temperature 
that we run a nursery at? Is it for the average pig? Is it for the bigger pigs? Is it for the littler pigs? And we, we've often not had those discussions uh, on really what is the economic optimal when we face that variation in our barns. Mm-hmm. I think you, you bring up some interesting concepts, right? Because it's not uncommon to have a conversation where we say, well, the minimum age that we want to wean a pig is 18, or the minimum weight that our contract will allow is a 10-pound pig out the door. And so we've we believe in some way we've created a specification, um, but it may not be that then we're treating that appropriately. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Yeah, um, I, I I think we we haven't defined um, or know what the outcome is for a pig of different weights going into a nursery. We did a study probably about 15 years ago that that showed that um, weight is by far the biggest predictor, along with age, of whether or not that pig is going to survive. That that predicts 80, 90% of survival rates. And you can chop off the bottom of that distribution of weights and get rid of most of your um, uh, uh, mortality problems. And not only that, um, also the lightweight pigs that come out the opposite end of the nursery or, or the wean to finish unit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think you're absolutely right. That is something we don't see a lot of data on. I know there is some that that shows growth rate is different on that lower body weight pig at weaning versus, you know, the average of the barn and so forth. But you're right. We don't really see the economics. And it's it's one thing that I've seen in systems is show us what the true impact is of maybe leaving those pigs behind in some ways because we feed to the average of the barn, we, we tempt to the average of the barn, right? We do all of those by average. And I think that'd be an interesting study uh, to actually look at that. What if we either remove those pigs or we fed to those those specifications? Um, any Any models or anything today that's already starting to work through that process or is this still just in the kind of challenging the industry thought process. Yeah, it, it's it's twofold. Actually, there there's two effects when we talk about the, this lower end of pigs or the overall variation. Uh, first of all, it, it there's what we call the atomistic effect, the effect of the pig on itself. And then there's something called the ecologic effect. Do those small pigs affect the population as a whole as well? And we've seen that in some cases, for instance, with parity, uh, segregation, and the like. Um, but it, it, if we closely look at the distribution of weights, we see that occurring in more groups, that these these compromised pigs are not only a threat to themselves, but, but to the population as a whole, probably through um, uh, carriage rates of, of different pathogens, uh, we've seen evidence of that in some cases, or susceptibility to pathogens that that uh, spread through the population. Um, I I talk about four kinds of pigs. Um, I think there's pigs that um, need to be defined as unsustainable. That that we can't do anything um, to, to justify keeping them, and and those pigs should be euthanized. Then there's those pigs that can be saved and inserted into the group, 
um, if if they're treated differently. Um, we've seen gruel feeding. We've seen uh, specific a- antibiotics being used that increase their ability to survive and thrive. Um, and, and then there's pigs that do better if they're given an intervention and they're more likely to um, meet the specifications of the next stage. And and then there's the pigs that don't need any help at all um, and, um, and are, are doing just fine. And um, we're starting to separate that out in studies, but it's very environment specific. And it really comes back to the attitudes of the people in the barns whether or not they're managing to the um, average or to the more compromised animals. I've been in situations in contract production where um, there's an unwillingness to go to the extraordinary steps because they feel they shouldn't get those pigs in the first place. And on the other hand, there, there's what I consider the ultimate test of caregivers, those people that can really take the bottom end and bring it up, and intuitively doing a lot of those, those interventions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's, that's a really good point. And you, you kind of hit my next question because you'd mentioned the interventions. And so you've already talked through the, the four different opportunities. And, and I look at that, and again, Call me out if I'm wrong, but I'm the way I'm listening to you talk about that. That's really a population of pigs. So a group of pigs come in, thousand head pigs. We're going to have them divided into four categories, and we hope we don't receive the ones that should have been euthanized. We hope they stayed at the sow farm, but there's the possibility that all four will be represented within the barn. Yeah, um, it, it, and I'd say the economics are even more complicated by the output of the sow unit if we're talking about entry in, in, into into the nursery because there's a different economics of filling an empty space uh, with a poor pig or filling a, a, a poor pig space with a good pig. And so it depends on the variation of the output of the sow unit as well which is sometimes um, masked by varying the weaning age uh, and and taking pigs at at different ages during different stages. And and that in itself is problematic of of, um, many of our units. Another measure, I think, of specifications is how many weeks does a sow unit actually produce at the, the... correct number of pigs. And I never look at pigs weaned. I look at pigs born in a week um, because too many things go on after that to even out to even out numbers. But if we truly look at born alive and the stability of born alive, it, it, it's, it's a very challenging area, but I think it's a lot more rewarding than pigs per cell per year. Yeah, that, that's a very good point. I'm going to go back to the wean to finish, and then we'll go back to the sows. So um, you've got me intrigued a little bit. So um, if we think about those four intervention populations sitting in that that wean to finish barn, we always used to, the number that popped into my head when you were talking about it was 10%, right? We always said sort off the lowest 10%. Those must be our pigs that require probably you know, a little bit of intervention, 
Um, there probably are some for sure that require significant intervention, but they're kind of in that mix of what I would call, I'm just looking at your twos and maybe threes of your, of your intervention model. Is that a fair number, that 10%? Because what I'm listening to you say is that's not how we should be maybe categorizing pigs. I, I, I'm going to switch slightly and talk about um, going from uh, going to market and um, talk about the experience in, in uh, full value pigs or, or top hogs that we used to talk about 10% that way. And, and to me, that 10% is, is uh, including not only the slow growing pigs, but it's including the dead pigs and it's including the pigs that disappeared for one reason or another with no record. And, um, and people made a name, I think early on, uh, we talked about 15% and then we talked about 10% and we're slowly going below that. I don't think we know how well we can do and we don't have the economic drive to to really say um, uh, to really evaluate what is the cost of bringing substandard pigs to the next stage of production, whether it be at birth, whether it be at at, at weaning, or anywhere during during the phase. I, I think the packers have made it quite clear that they don't want to see them. Um, and it's been a strong economic drive that's really reduced our capacity, our ability to use our growth finish capacity um, as efficiently as possible. We have a lot of empty space just trying to help those slow growing pigs get ahead. And um, we haven't done the same thing at weaning. And, and I, I'd argue even at birth, we haven't really asked what is the cost to the system. Uh, there hasn't been pressure on the system to do better. No, and I think that's something that intrigues me. You know, I think about a lot when markets fluctuate, there's always that conversation when a, a wean population comes in of which pigs should we keep, which pigs can we justify economically. And a lot of times the caregivers aren't aware of that, right? They're not probably as in tune to what's happening in the market. They're going to be given a direction saying, well, we know that these pigs at, at this cost with these inputs probably aren't going to be viable. And so those need to be euthanized. But you're absolutely right. That's at weaning. Right? And those pigs probably shouldn't have, have left the sow farm. And so how do we move the economic potential from wean to finish barn back to the sow barn? I, I think we need to do a lot more testing uh, of of the performance of, of um, pigs that are potentially compromised in our system. Um, I, I tend to argue that averages don't mean that much. I'd like to know what percentage of pigs are below a, a set of specifications. Most of them you can eyeball. And, and what I do in, in some cases is simply ask that all those pigs below specification are tagged. And and then we simply monitor what is the mortality rate, what is the uh, relative risk 
if we're going to use epidemiologic terms, of, of those pigs. And we see rates four or five times as high of being a poor performing animal, dying or growing slowly. And then we have to ask, is it worth it to keep that pig? Or is it worth it to put it in this population in this nursery? It may very well be um, moving to another area. It may be partly um, through medication or through different environments that we can do things, but we won't know until we actually know how big that risk is. Mm -hmm. And, and, and that changes behavior, sorry, yeah. Oh no, absolutely. That that absolutely changes behavior, right? And it, it would start at farrowing. And it some of it I do think is is our wonderful caregivers when they have the small pig and they want to give it an advantage and, and try to bring it along and, and maybe it does survive till weaning and it makes the weight, but physiologically it will never work to be a full value pig, right? And so I do agree that some of that has to come back. It has to be justified. It has to be demonstrated. Um, and one of the other things that I, I heard you say there and just in your conversation was about research and averages. And I think that's really intriguing to me because years ago when I would do research in sow barns, it wasn't uncommon for me to write down how many pigs at weaning weren't eight pounds <clears throat> and report that. Um, we typically will do that for wean to finish uh, in some studies, right? We'll document what percent are sub substandard or low value pigs, but we don't see much of that anymore in the south side. And I'll admit I'm one that, that stopped doing it unless I'm taking, you know, a lot of weights and, and looking specifically for it. And so I think you raised some interesting concepts about really tracking those pigs and really understanding what's happening well beyond or well before they get to the wean to finish barn. And, and, and I think you're right in, in a, a, I think research um, projects have a, have a couple of conflicts. Number one is that often the population to study is designed to avoid some of the severe variation that can occur, get rid of the top, chop off the top and the bottom to begin with rather than studying them. But even beyond that, um, it, it, for instance, age and weight at, at weaning are going to be the major factors. And, and unless those are monitored at the beginning, and then whatever intervention is included into that model, it, it, it gives a short-sighted outcome. And it's actually the interactions between your intervention and these different risk factors in the population that, that really answer a lot of questions. I, I have to say that most of our, uh, our research teams aren't really trained in some of those individual risk-based analyses um, compared to analysis of variance-based uh, models. And whether it's uh, logistic regression or, or um, bootstrap analysis, we're just not seeing enough of it compared to a lot of our um, other industrial analysis models. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, and it's not something, right? It's not something we typically would think about, but you're absolutely right. Um, 
I was thinking about this as we were talking, your, your risk, I'm going to jump back a little bit, but your, your interventions in the wean to finish barn, we know have the opportunity to bring those pigs up, but do we have any data today that, and maybe you're working on that with your different barns that shows how much that potentially reduces the variation within the barn. If we come after those, those pigs and do the appropriate interventions, are we able to document any of that yet today? We, we've had simple trials in the past uh, doing some of the antibiotic studies and the like and showing real differential effects between the compromised animals and, 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 and the rest of the population. Even um, things like crowding uh, or, or different densities uh, of housing will affect the lower end more than the upper end and it really begs the question, if we're looking at densities in a, in a, a grow-finish barn, um, where the growth rate means the most is in the bottom end. Slowing down the top end would be fine, um, but we rarely, we rarely just look at, at the bottom end, or I, I've done the bottom third in the past. That shows twice the effect of different densities as as the rest of the population so so that's that's one example if we're interested in growth rate but um it, it, i think the other uh factor is in a lot of our studies it is and i've been involved in different analyses we often do it in healthy populations and it, our, our problem herds are actually the ones that by definition are not healthy and have more of these compromised animals that that are accumulating, and, and I, I I've even been, called it hellhole research. Bring me to your worst barn, not your best barn, because that that's where where there's the most opportunity for improvement. But uh, we're actually struggling with the most variation in that population, which which compromises classical uh, analysis of averages, uh, anal uh, analysis of variance, but it actually makes um, specification-based analyses or, or, uh, or uh, logistic analysis more powerful. Um, but, but I haven't seen enough of them and I, I'm pretty well retired now, so I, I doubt I'll do much more of that either, yeah. Yes, but I think you bring up a good point, and it's it's one that, at least from, from my takeaway today, is that we really need to be mindful of that, that that lower population of pig is not as equally impacted with the different variables within the barn as the rest of the population, and that could have a greater impact on our economics than what we anticipate. And so when we look at those economic models and say, well, increasing square footage would do X, we're not really taking into account the true response that we'd see from the bottom. So I, I think that's a great, um, a great concept or a great thought process for many of our producers to think about. And as we kind of wrap up our time, are there other key points or key takeaways or anything you would like to expand upon as, as we kind of complete our, our conversation? I'd add one thought, and that's that um, we, we've talked in generalities, and the other generality I want to mention is health. 
that if we look at a group of pigs, it's actually um, if uh, it's actually the variation in performance that that actually strikes us more than anything else as health. It rarely does a disease come through and affect every pig equally. It, it, it's actually that that spreading out of the population and in statistical terms, making it not normal and making that skewed end that is really the measure of health in compromised populations. And often we haven't used our, our statistics correctly for that effect in a population. And so it, it, my challenge is especially to veterinarians uh, to avoid averages if they can to truly see the effect of their interventions and also the overall effects of disease. That's that's a perfect key point as well for our audience. And again, it drives home that idea of focusing on the specs, looking at the lower population rather than than looking at the average of the barn and the performance. So very good, John. I thank you for that insight. I think it's been a wonderful conversation. It is time to our famous three. Since 1971, ZinPro has focused on improving the health and well-being of animals. As the most research-proven organic feed trace mineral products in the industry, ZinPro Performance Minerals deliver performance and profitability to swine operations around the globe. To know more, go to ZinPro.com. Swinet Podcast is only possible with the support of forward-looking and innovative companies like Genesis, the first power in genetics, AB Vista, new nutritional perspectives and novel enzyme applications to drive pig production, Eastman Animal Nutrition. Visit EASTMAN.com. Adiseo is a worldwide leader in animal nutrition, providing nutritional solutions and services which fuel predictable profits. Uh, as we wrap up our time together, we like to ask our guest speaker a couple of questions that we ask all of our guest speakers. The first one is, is do you have a swine resource that you'd recommend to the audience? Yeah, um, I, I'm going to mention an old textbook, and it's out of agricultural economics, and it's called Agricultural Decision Analysis by Anderson, Dillon, and Hardacre. And there's some follow-up textbooks that, that look at decision analysis because really we're working with uncertainty in um, not knowing all of our sources of variation from group to group and the like and what will happen in the future. And we also have known risks that, that we need to manipulate in a, in a better fashion. Uh, my big lesson early on was that um, pig farming is more risky than uh, silver mining. And yet economic silver mining is always mentioned, but you can shut down a silver mine. You can't shut down a sow unit very easily. That's true. That's true. That's an interesting analogy for sure, John. <laughs> but thank you for that. And it's an interesting book. I've not read that one, but I have heard about it. So that that's actually a very good recommendation. Um, my second question for you is, is there a book that you'd recommend to the audience that you're reading or recently finished that's not related to pigs? Yeah, I, I reread a book just recently that um, I guess it was about 30 years ago I read. It's called The Closing of the American Mind, and it um, it's by Alan Bloom, and it really looks at the idea of how do we gain new ideas and new new intelligence. and, and 
he says, go back to the classics, broaden your understanding of this world. And that will give lots of examples to uh, create theses or, or new ideas for your own operations. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds like an excellent book. I've, I've also heard of that one, but I've never picked it up. But I do, I do think that would be a, a great book to read. Um, and then lastly, we ask our, our guest speakers if there's somebody in your life that you define as successful and you don't need to give us a name. But is there a trait about them that you think has allowed them to be successful? I, I'll, I'll actually give a name. Uh, Dr. Mike Wilson uh, from University of Guelph was a mentor of mine, you know, involved in a number of different aspects of academia. And he always wanted to debate something. We'd go out for lunch every Friday with a group of our, our swine uh, faculty and graduate students. And his emphasis was there's not dumb ideas. There's always good conversations. And his rule was we only need one good idea every 20 lunches. The rest just be teasing stuff apart and questioning it. And in probably more my business in academia than even in pig production, we need to be able to debate, not take it personally, and just dig into the ideas. And I've really been blessed by not only Mike, but a number of people who are willing to take on my crazy ideas too. <laughs> That's how we grow, right? For sure. To to question, to challenge, and, and to get that feedback is, is just part of growth and development. And and I don't disagree. And I've I've been in businesses that do set aside time, maybe not once a week, but once a quarter, and just ask those questions. You know, what are the problems and you know, how do we how do we tackle? Right? Where do we move forward? So I think that's an excellent piece of advice um, for all of our listeners today. So, John, again, um, our time is up and I want to thank you so much for being on. Um, for our listeners, again, this is Dr. John Dean, who is a University of Minnesota professor. John, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for the opportunity. It was fun. Imagine if with a few key concepts, you could have the potential to create a massive positive impact for swine producers. Join this small group and go to the next level of nutrition on this online training in applied swine nutrition and feeding by Dr. Marcio Gonsalves and his world-class invited swine nutritionists. Additionally, you will enjoy an exclusive community to network and exchange ideas. Go now to EliteSwineNutritionist.com.